network resilient applications. Now that sounds very, very fancy. Where are you in regards to the whole multi-platform thing? Like Google's best architecture practices, whether it doesn't necessarily mean much. I'm just thinking whether we could like do the same for Kotlin. Overall, biggest challenge is going to be accepting payment. I'm so fired. Welcome to another episode of Talking Kotlin. Hi, Seb. How are you today? I am great, Hardy. Thank okay, you. How great. Are you? Let's get over that, please, because um, according to the YouTube stats, we lose people in the first 30 seconds. So we need to make sure that uh, we're fast. Okay. So today's topic is going to be store or store five. And we have three wonderful uh, guests joining us today uh, who are uh, Matt, Mike, and Yeet. Welcome to the show, everybody. Yes. And... Uh, if anyone wants to know who they are, look them up. We don't have time. Let's get into it because there's a lot in store for us. Did you see what I did? A lot in store for us. Oh, never mind. That's that's a pretty good one. I'm losing it, Seb. I'm losing it. So no, jokes okay. aside, uh, let, let's start. Matt, uh, quick intro. Where are you from? I mean, where'd you work? So I'm an engineer at Dropbox. I'm based in New York City. Uh, quick intro. So I'll that's, pass to Mike. That's, that's good enough, Mike. <laughs> I'm in New Jersey. I've worked everywhere. I'm currently at a stealthy startup. Which is cool. A stealthy uh, startup. Oh, it's I get it. State. Oh, okay. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeet. We know Hi, you. I, yeah, I know me too. Uh, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm Yeet. I, I work in San Francisco Bay Area at Google. All right. I wish our stand-up meetings were, were like this. That's that's straight and to the point wonderful. And of course, we'll have the socials of all these people down below if you do want to learn more about them. Today, however, we're here uh, to talk about Store or uh, Store 5, I guess, depending on the readme or the repository name, um, which says it's a Kotlin multi-platform library for building network-resilient applications. Now, that sounds very, very fancy. Um, do you folks just want to take us in and maybe give us uh, a bit of the the, the backstory, wh why this this library was was born? Why did you create this? This library was created, and I know this is going to sound strange. It was just called Store or Store One at the time, so we kind of have to go back to that historically. Uh, I was at New York Times. We were a highly data driven application, and we're writing features five or six different ways, depending on which engineer wrote the data flow. Um, I had a little bit of a history in, in contracting, consulting before that, and just over and over again, it's just the whole get data from the network and show some cat photos on the screen. And that middle part, I got tired of rewriting, having bugs. So um, our team standardized it a bit and released store one, which was based on Rx Java one at the time. And the so the the initial need was just to get a consistent like networking layer overall. Yeah, it was the consistency of having the contracts be the same all the time. And the other need was caching. Uh, we were using Guava, so we had memory caches from Guava. So we threw that into store so that you're not making more network requests than you need. Just remember, some of these network requests are articles that were up to ten megabytes large, and Obviously, you didn't want to fetch them a lot. And similar, being able to do I.O., saving to disk. So it's that classic read from network, save to disk, save to memory, give to user, and then 
any other time you're pulling it, just pull from the latest source rather than the the furthest one. And you introduced this first internally at the New York Times and then over time decided, hey, this is useful. I'd like other people to also do this. Or did you kind of drag it along with you as you, as you went to like different uh, different events or, or other companies? Or how did that go? Um, great question. So it was based on some of the work I did before the New York Times. I kind of merged it with what we were doing internally. Uh, but we did it wanting open source. Open source was a thing. Everyone loved it. There were companies that were really large into it. So when we were writing store, we were writing it from the get-go as an open source library. There was no internal implementation. While the repo was private at first, we always treated it as this is for everyone. This is not just for our use case, which really helped to just kind of standardize it to, you know, what are we going to need in the future? Not just what are the five articles that we're trying to pull now. So what happened to the name? Like, why did it go from store to store five? Uh, we did the same thing that OKHTP did. Uh, they had OKHTP and then OKHTP2 came out with a different package. The reason for that was to allow updates to happen from old to new without having to have breaking changes. So in theory, when we went from store two to store three, which was that uh, change from RxJava 1 to RxJava 2, you were able to have both RxJavas in your application and slowly start updating. It became even more important with Store 4. That's when Yeet became a part of this project. When we went to coroutines, some apps continue to use RxJava Store, Store 3, and coroutines Store, the first one, Store 4. So, do you know of any project that uses all five versions of Store simultaneously? Uh, I won't shame anyone, but we get tickets <laughs> from some of my older employers of like, hey, this is now missing in store three that was in two. And we're like, oh, gosh, we're like, yeah, it's, uh, let, let's go back to those branches and see what we can do. <laughs> I'm just thinking whether we could like do the same for Kotlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, Hadi, bad bad news. I think I think with Kotlin 2.0, the big claim that we made was, look at that. We're not gonna make any. We're not gonna make any breaking changes, right? No, that was the, just that was Kotlin right. new generation. Yeah, Kotlin NG, sure. Why don't we yeah. use the alphabet? We know that goes very well. Like dessert Kotl names. Kotlin, 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 Kotlin. Wow. Well, that's one way of worrying about breaking changes or, or not worrying. Yeah, cool. I that's... mean, technically, it's breaking all the APIs in a way. Yeah, just you're being very quick about it. <laughs> it you just all the APIs is easy. You're currently at store five. You're currently at store five. And uh, we'll get to the multi-platform aspect of it a little bit later on. We'll come back to the version number or sorry, not version number, the, the suffix of the, the, the name or the new name of the, the, the thingy. So, uh, so um, I, I, I mean, I guess an obvious question that um, we have here is outside of the New York Times, and outside of every job that you've had, Mike? Well, first of all, actually, how did you two get involved? Because, okay, Mike's story, we understand. He needed it out of the New York Times. Matt, Yid, why, what was your story about getting involved in this? Uh, chronologically, I think it's first me. But uh, what was it, like 2018, 19? Sometime around that. Uh, but in the 
in the Android Jetpack team, like we usually look at, okay, like what are the main domains where people need libraries? Like we have a database library we implemented. So in part of those research studies, we need know that there's like some library needed for this, like fetching, caching, and like providing a single source of truth. Uh, so we, we knew this was needed. Uh, but we also don't want to reinvent the wheel when there's an existing solution, so it's much better to contribute. Uh, so I, I, I knew about store already, so I took a look at it. It looked interesting. Then I think I reached out to Mike, or like we already knew each other. I'm like Mike, are you willing to do like a you know major change? These are the list of things we would like to change, but if we change that, I'd rather like work on this instead of creating another Jetpack library just to have the same functionality. Mike was like, cool, let's do it. And then we can have a Kotlin talk about it. I'm like, yes, nice. Uh, so it's what we did uh, with a couple of other people. Uh, looked at about like a bunch of fundamental things and then coroutines were out by the time. Like moved the whole library to coroutines, which made us need store five, four. That was four. That was four? Yeah, that was four. Uh, yeah, that's that's how it happened. So we can get a talk in Kotlin Cov. Uh, Kotlin, uh, Kotlin Cov driven development. Yeah, love it. Beautiful. <laughs> I, yeah. I I hear that honestly more often than than I'd like to. <laughs> uh, I, I know. Of... Shut up. Let people do it. <laughs> uh, and that that talk is uh, from 2019, right? That's the migrating a library from Rx Java to Coroutines talk. Very yeah, good. the talk we'll is just that. how to how to work in store is what the world talk was. So I apologize to everyone that expected the talk to be how to migrate <laughs> libraries from one thing oh, to another. Oh, sublim subliminal. What's the word? Sublimin oh. Subliminal. Sublib. Subliminal. Sub okay. Everyone was advertising. That's what you were doing, or or as a, a strategists now call it content marketing. You know, selling something while you're really talking about something else. Um, Matt, what's your story behind this? Yeah, so I met Mike when I was an intern at Dropbox, and um, I kind of got introduced to just using Store at Dropbox. Um, and then maybe like a year ago, I was working on a project that I needed to, I needed pretty rigorous uh, caching and persistence, and I also needed to make local mutations. And so I reached out to Mike to see like, if I could use store and just to get his thoughts on it. Um, and then we started talking about some of the existing feature requests. Um, and we kind of settled on me taking like a stab at, at adding write support. Um, and with, I think like a month later, I reached out to him and this was before ASG before I was like in ASG. And so this was all over Twitter and I was sending him like DMS, like, um, back and forth. It wasn't ideal, but, um, I had a fork and then I shared it with Mike and Mike, um thought it was good and and so we started a like a pull request i think it had um like seven or eight reviewers and like 100 plus comments and then i just started getting more and more involved after that and i guess this uh this all kind of also came together because i saw that you folks gave a talk together at DroidCon san francisco about store five is that right yeah in june 
Very cool. And I think the recording for that one is also already up. So we can even link that for people who want to dive more specifically into Store 5. But I am um, a little bit curious. Like, I'd, I'd like to learn a little bit more about Store 5 as a library um, and maybe kind of get an understanding of why I, as a developer who's never heard of Store 5, uh, should now... Uh, maybe consider adding it to to my application. So could you maybe give us like just a, a a brief overview of like the core concepts that are in store or I guess in store five? Yep. Uh, I'll start with the ones that have been in store since store one, and then I'm going to pass it over to Matt, who will tell you how this became store five and the full-fledged one and all the new APIs. Primarily, there's a few constructs. There's a, and it is, Think of it as glue code and a few interfaces that you're going to implement. You're going to implement the things that we can't do for you. You're going to tell us how you fetch data by implementing a fetcher. You'll tell us how you save data to disk and read it from your disk with an implementation of a source of truth. And then you'll make a builder that tells us how to wire these things together into an implementation of a store. From there, you make store requests with some request parameters that then tell us, do you want cache data or do you want new data? Past that, what you're not doing is handling errors. You're not handling your own race conditions. You're not handling network throttling or um, kind of like that thunder and herd where too many requests are being made for the same data. So that classic use case of you have a config store which gets called 50 times on application start from all your different classes, you know, just to get that configuration. It'll be called once, it'll share the request through everything. So we've just been, I've been kind of nerd sniping great engineers like Yeet and Matt over the years to contribute to this library that would have died years and years ago. And um, yeah, it was this tiny just shape of just reading. And then Matt took over and just made it way more robust. So I'll pass it over to him for the second part. Uh, yeah, so store five, I think um, the new concepts are mutations, which we talked about, local changes, uh, conflict resolution. So um, things like what if you have multiple devices? What if a some devices are online, some devices are offline? What if a write fails to update the remote? Um, so things like that. And then fallback mechanisms. So uh, what do we do on failure? And then we added things like list decomposition and cache delegation. Um, Store 4 was really good at handling single items, um, but it was hard. Users were having trouble working with collections. Um, so we added that. And then we added uh, validation. So um, the classic example of validation would be like uh, time to live from server. And if it's no longer valid, then you get the latest uh, value from server. But you have one. Like one addition there, so you might think, you know, any network library already provides caching or the duplication. It's like what's different with store. Like store, it's like at a higher level, it has an understanding of your data and that, that allows you to provide things like single source of truth, which we care a lot on the application design because maybe we don't see that much anymore, but like in the old days, this would happen. Like you could go to a screen, you know, favorite a post, you go back to the previous screen, the post is not favorited because it fetched it before you made that change. And it's really hard to like organize your application to make sure this always happens. So it's when we like made source of truth first class citizen in the API. Like this is your source of truth. And every API you call from store will respect that. 
So once you use store all around, it just like gets result for you, which is normally really hard to handle in an application. So like you wanna... only show the right data. I'm I'm very curious about what you what you mean, or, or if you could just pin down a little bit more what you mean when you say it understands your data. Is this this source of truth concept, or is it more than that? So when you uh, so like if you have a network library, the only API you basically have is like some request URL and a response type. But when you load from store, when you're loading, you 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 send a request and that request tells us what to load. It's not a HTTP request. Like, you know, you want to say, load me this user with this certain ID. So in that case, like store knows about that you're using a user object. And then you do, you provided us a feature that tells us how to fetch that user object. You provide the source of truth implementation that tells us how to cache it. Uh, so that's why when we know about it, then we can, like organize the network cache and the local storage and like provide you things like, you know, you, f you can first give you the cache data while fetching the server data because we all like return correcting flows. Uh, so this this is a distinction between just making a single HTTP request, which all you have is basically random HTTP parameters. So the is this kind of coming coming back to the example that you mentioned beforehand right i have a i have something where i can favorite it um or like i i load a i load a view then i have some kind of sub view i i press the favorite button but the the favorite status doesn't get updated for me like from the perspective of an application developer does that mean that now instead of just well you know making a request getting back a a single value what i do is i kind of connect myself to the store and i say okay give me the flow of like the state of whether this is favorited or not and then if through some other magic the 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 machinery decides that this has now been updated cuz i've sent the request uh my my ui gets updated everywhere as well perfect you're a oh. stuff Android engineer. Congratulations! <laughs> Look at that. Wonderful. Well, it's great. You know, with a, the, it's it sounds like it's just actually a, a really, really convenient API. <laughs> so uh, let me let me ask a question from as the, from the perspective of an iOS developer. Let me go find one first. Uh, <laughs> you you mentioned because uh, first of all, it sounded really simple, right? Like you're taking all of this complex. Uh, machinery and making it really easy for folks because you say you just tell us how to um, store data, how to read data, but then you're like you tell us how to cache it. Uh, do I have like how much how much details do I have to provide as a user of this library? How much of it is automatically done for me, and how much of it do I need to get into? It it depends. It depends how much you want to get into it. The simplest one was um, there's there's a team at Google at Android X. They wrote a library called Room, and that Room library returns flows for data. It is already reactive, similar to Store. So if you want kind of with the batteries included version of Store, you wire your Store to be backed by Room, and it just works. You will have a setup. I started as a Spring developer backend. I know maybe some other people know what Spring is. And you know it, we're kind of going for that like spring data experience of it just works, it just connects, it is just reactive data. But if you're working at somewhere like Dropbox who has their own maybe databases, their own architectures, their own libraries, it is contract based where you can say, this is just something that returns the data. 
we will call your delegate at the right time. And hopefully, if you respect our few contracts, it will always do the right thing in the scenarios that we go through. Request a single item, request all items, request cached items, request cached and um, network item like a double tap. So it contracts and business logic back into contracts. And so for the vast majority of use cases outside of specific ones like Dropbox, is it like a shrink wrap solution that I, that I have all of this or, or, or I still need to plug different some things in? You're part of an ecosystem. Um, Android, unlike iOS, we have lots of libraries and we did not want to reinvent the wheel. Retrofit exists. Retrofit is amazing. OKHTP exists. Everyone uses them. There's no reason for us to have our own network library included in store, but we made sure it's a single line binding to get to those network libraries, similar a single line binding to get to Room or something else that we expect people to use more frequently. Over the years, we've shipped converters to JSON, to Mashi. We've shipped file system bindings just to go to OKIO file system. So we try to have bindings the way that Retrofit has converters so that we can be part of an ecosystem rather than saying, you have to use this particular thing with store. I mean, that sounds excellent. The kind of like having this kind of modularity where people can extend it with whatever they need by their own use cases or just wiring something up within a, in a single line or two is, of course, uh, really, really impressive. I am curious, though, because Store 5 is a multi-platform library, yes? Yes, it was all Matt's fault. <laughs> thank you, um, Matt. Yeah, thank you. thanks for that. Uh, no, this is this is of course uh, quite delightful. But I'm I'm curious. Do you do you have something like some kind of out of the box integrations for stuff that's let's say iOS specific as well? Something that's maybe I don't know backed by core data or SQLite or or something like this for for storage out of the box? Or is this a little bit more more wild west at the current time? Yeah, right now it's wild west, but it's on a roadmap. Okay, all right. Uh, do you have any particular like di direction in like what you might want to evaluate there for the for the multi-platform iOS case? Nothing right now. Um, it's kind of on our roadmap to investigate. Is where we are. Um, definitely, it's not ready for use in prod on iOS. I do believe that there are. I think Andre, Mikey mentioned, is using it in prod on iOS, um, but we're not we're not ready to recommend people use it at this point. Um, I think Matt is underselling himself. He's made a few samples that do use iOS and store, or at least kind of show things like SQL Delight, which work as multi-platform library. So think of it as if everything else is multi-platform, you'll put store on top of it. But yeah, it's not something that we've started personally doing yet. Hmm. I was just going to say you went, you went from sounding like someone contributing to an open source project to if I say something, our stock might crash. So I'll, I'll just say it's on the roadmap and, and this is something that we're looking into, but we're not ready right now to, to come. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen. Like, we will take the funding back from the foundation, but <laughs> I guess I, yeah, I, I guess I haven't used it in prod on iOS, so I'm not ready to recommend it. But I think it's it's getting close and uh, definitely confident about it in the next like quarter or two. Yeah, I, I think what what will happen is with also the rest of the developing KMP ecosystem. So we see these like major libraries moving to KMP 
So most of the major libraries used by store will likely, like, you know, the, the stuff Mike was mentioning that you connect into store, they will likely become multi-platform. And usually things like integrating with core data or the file system is a responsibility of a such library. So they will become multi-platform. You will basically move your source sets and it will just work magically. Also, yeah, Matt, uh, don't worry. If I've learned anything, it's that the best thing you can do in the Kotlin ecosystem is tell people not to use something in production. Uh, that 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 has never stopped anyone, uh, whether that's with Kotlin multi-platform or Compose multi-platform or whatever libraries are out there. So I'm sure that after this episode's air airs, you're gonna get a suspicious <laughs> increase potentially in people being like, "Hey, so our production app." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, we're actually, we want to now touch on the whole multi-platform aspect, uh, but uh, something that our listeners weren't aware of is that we have another surprise for them on this show. So remember how we mentioned earlier that uh, we want to really get into it and skip all of the nonsense that we talk about? That was partially true because that nonsense is coming back in mid-segment in the show, uh, sponsored by Rechargeable lithium ion batteries which explode um i bought this i bought this on aliexpress um anyway uh so by the time it got to me it kind of exploded are uh, you okay so, is this is this a fire hazard <laughs> i don't know don't I use mean, it as a pillow it looks it like looks one but... okay <laughs> uh so yes uh, talking about fire hazards uh how's the weather where you are seb uh I, I'm actually looking this up now. Uh, 18 degrees Celsius. That is, let me click here. That's 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Zero uh, percent uh, precipitation. 53 percent humidity. Eight miles per hour wind, or 13 kilometers for our metric. Lesson. No, it's it's nice. It's it's cozy. It's like not not exactly sweater weather yet, but it's uh, you know no no rain, which is sometimes all you can ask for. Great. And this weather segment brought to you by our sponsors. Now moving on. <laughs> Our guests are kind of like, what the hell is going on here? But yeah, we're experimenting. It doesn't work. Uh, so multi-platform. <laughs> How do you know? Yeah. How do you know it doesn't work? <laughs> Did you see their faces? They're just like sitting here like, what, am I meant to say something? Are they going to ask me about the weather? Like, should I pull up the curtain? What, what's going to happen now? Uh, but anyway, back to the topic at hand. Uh, multi-platform. Okay, so you are one of the receivers. This is where I get serious. You are one of the receivers of the Kotlin Foundation Award. On behalf of the Kotlin Foundation, we want to thank you for your contribution to the Kotlin multi-platform ecosystem. Wow, I didn't even write that down. And uh, your, your excellence and uh, proactiveness in the open source community helps us develop a prosperous future for Kotlin. I'm Is getting that, goosebumps you... listening to myself. Whoa. <laughs> uh, so, yes, congratulations on that. Now let's get to the bones of the matter or the meat of the matter. Where are you in regards to the whole multi-platform thing? Uh, because I kind of heard not in production, in production, use it, something's missing. Like, is this uh, off-the-shelf, ready-to-use Kotlin multi-platform library for folks? Absolutely. No, no, not at all. Um, it's, it's currently in progress. So to, to give you a background, um, this is a community library. This is not my library, not Matt's, not Yeats. This has been going on with 50 plus contributors. And 
a lot of things have changed because we've just gotten contributions where someone wanted to change to it. Uh, oh, it must have been almost two years ago. We had an external contributor, Andre Claussen, that forked the repo and converted everything to Kotlin. He converted it to Kotlin multi-platform, actually. And I was shocked at the time that he got it working. So there is a fork out there in the wild, which is not on mobile native foundation, which does um, is being used in, in iOS production. Uh, we took his code. That is what Matt added his new mutation code and all the new APIs to. So think of it as we got a, we got a contribution that was multi-platform. We then layered new APIs on it and have now released them. So I don't think anyone is using this yet. We premiered it at um, at DroidCon San Francisco a couple of months ago. But at this point, I've, I've started building samples. I try to build just, you know, cat photo apps over and over again. And it, it works. It does seem to work. But just like store, store one, the thing that we didn't mention was store two. Store two came out two weeks after store one because... <laughs> I had the wrong APIs and I never asked anyone what anyone in the wild would want them to be. Yeah, we only had string keys. You could only have request parameters that are strings. So that was one of those kind of problems that um, was solved by the community. We continue to kind of refine. And same thing here. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if people are going to start using this on iOS and tell us they want to use core data. They want core data packaged with this. They want to fork up whatever guava exists on iOS. So we're kind of, this is the call to action. This is open source. It's under technically Linux foundation at this point. And if people start using it, reporting, we ha we are funded now very well by the Kotlin Foundation. So we can do bug bounties. We can write documentation. And yeah, we're at a point where we want to scale this to other platforms. And I think we're fairly confident that the current structure could make it. Hadi is speechless. <laughs> no, this is... I had like five follow-up questions, but you answered them all. So I'm like, okay, well, um, <laughs> great folks. Uh, thanks for being on the show. And uh, <laughs> oh, how's the weather there, Seb? Didn't change, Hadi. <laughs> Very Actually, consistent, which is sometimes also all you can ask. I, I do have a follow-up question, if you allow me. Okay. So I read a blog post. Because Impressive. there was no video to watch. And... <laughs> And in this blog post, it said, we are taking some of Google's best practices, architect, architecture best practices, and we're kind of like implementing this in store. I don't know who that blog post was, but was it by you, Mike, or someone from this team? I assume it was by someone from this team. I, I hope so. It was either me or Matt, I'm assuming. I don't remember this blog okay. post Anyway, I had a toddler. I had a baby. I, mean, I could look it up. Like, look up store. <laughs> look up Google Store. No, don't look up Google Store. No, uh, no it sounds like me. It sounds like you. So I want to, like, I think we could do a whole show on this one. But let me just ask you a couple of questions regarding this. Google's best architecture practices. This is assuming in the scope of Android. Now you're going to do this in a cross-platform way, where you want to provide, you know, support for iOS. Does that actually align with uh, Apple's best practices when it comes to handling this kind of thing? I would like to say that I'm to blame for this one as well, for Google having these best practices. If we go back to KotlinConf in 2019, I put up a nice slide that said, Google gave us view models. Google gave us 
recommendations for networking. Google gave us UI libraries. And then there was a huge question mark of what do we do for that repository? Since that time, and me calling them out for years and years, I, I think someone on the Google side wrote what they called offline first guidelines for how to build apps that are network resilient. And what Matt did was hopefully not the only person, he read it and he implemented it. Because unlike what I was asking for, for Google to give us the library, they at least gave us the guidance. So to say whether it'll work on other, on other um, platforms, it's kind of TBD, but this is a, I think a science or a, a part of architecture which isn't very well explored. And I don't see these guidelines in JS. I don't know if they exist in iOS, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it does exist in iOS. Directly yeah, I, I, I think I would say, uh, so I, I worked on those guidelines and uh, I just really well, want to name, clarify name something. Name uh, like Google's best architecture practices, whether it doesn't necessarily mean much. I really want to like, clarify that. <laughs> we don't make apps ourselves, right? It's, it's, it's not like a you know religious book you could follow, uh, but it it gives you an idea. Like these are the fundamental things we really care about. Like we 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 really like we call this offline first apps because uh, we really want the applications to be responsive. Like when you clicked on a button, please make it do something, not just like wait for a network that may or may not be there. Uh, so there's a couple of fundamental things that are mostly around like having this low power device that is like, you know, barely gets internet into certain situations. So like optimize for those cases. And guess what? There's all valid cases for iPhone too, or like any other mobile operating system. Like I know if, if people were blaming Android for network connections, that's usually not Android's mistake. That's just how mobile networks work. Hence, uh, though most of those things should be applicable to iOS. But then there are parts where you make like practical decisions based on what you have on Android. Like Android has a certain way of running applications. You know, we we like to kill your application more frequently than uh, like other operating systems. Uh, we like the save is like temporary state so we can bring it up fast. So there's certain decisions you make optimized for Android that might be different on iOS. But the fundamentals of like making this application offline first, not need network too much, uh, that should just apply. So what I'm what I'm hearing here, especially when you're saying uh, like people might complain about the the network on on Android, is that people do care about whether an application is designed kind of in like an offline first manner where where it works like snappily and i guess this is also then the the feedback that that gets gets back to you right yeah definitely like it makes a big difference in the user experience uh yeah like and when we started this like you know, five six years ago that used to be a bigger problem in the ecosystem i think by now uh it is much better uh, but yeah, like it's, it's very, very important for the user to think that your application is premium. That there's this uh, science-based idea of like premium application experience. It's not just the developers trying to do the best thing they can because it is fun. Uh, it is actually literally affects your user experience, and then we care about it. Uh, so yes, it is for the end users, not for engineers. That's actually really exciting. You sound like excited. 
Oh, Josh I'm sorry. He's German. I'm, no, I'm sorry. I just got, I got, I got semi, I got semi steamrolled by Hadi there. I didn't want to. Uh, no, because I, I'm very. I think, I think it's very delightful to see this kind of trend of of moving towards towards offline first. Um, one of my most painful experiences with my phone, where I always feel like I just, I'm holding a very expensive brick, is when I'm on an airplane, um, and I just realized that. I don't know the Slack chat that I had open two minutes ago. I now can't open again because I don't know. Scrolling up, the data's just gone. It was it was never stored anywhere. That was just requested from the network. Um, so that's always like, yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, like I don't know. I have a, I have a website open. I I go back into my browser, like into my my Safari mobile, and it's like you're you're disconnected. Even though I see for a brief glimpse. <laughs> a cached version of that website it tries to reload it it's gone so i am very glad that there's people putting in the effort and thought to make applications a little bit more uh more well working offline first i I do yeah no please go ahead i'll come back in 15 minutes when you're don't worry just grab a tea relax it's it's fine Uh, don't worry it's it'll they'll they'll be all yours hadi one but one of the things Specifically about travel, actually, is my experience when I'm on a train, but not on a uh, not on an airplane, because then I'm in this weird situation where my network kind of works, or it's like really slow, or maybe I get like edge connection, uh, this kind of stuff. So I'm actually just wondering: Does Store provide any way to deal with like low or high latency networks as well, where I can say, well, if my requests don't go through, like fall back or show me a a stale version first before I make my requests. Is something like that built into the, the library? Yeah, so we have uh, Store 5 introduced the concept of fallback mechanisms. And the way that works is uh, the fetcher that Mike and you talked about with Store 4 and I guess Store 1 through Store 4. Um, we're adding a, a parent fetcher, like a chain. Um, this this was actually Yeet's idea of having the the root fetcher take in a, a fetcher that is optional. Um, and so if that fetcher fails, you can fall back on the, the child fetcher. And if the child fetcher fails, you can fall back on the that child fetcher and so on. And so you could hit network. And if that fails, you could hit like a, like a local uh, hard-coded data store or something like that. That's pretty cool. Okay. Very so, neat. Um, Question for Seb. Uh, would you like to tell us about your experience when you're traveling in a car? I mean, you've done the trains, you've done the planes, you want to do the cars, automobiles yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, so I don't here... want to know. <laughs> Man, no, I uh, like, what I wanted to ask. Underground parking garages are a real, real issue when it comes to mobile networks. <laughs> I actually hate it when I'm on a plane and there's Wi-Fi because it means I have to connect. But after that fact, it's you actually see the message pop up as a notification. But when you open it, the app doesn't open or or Slack doesn't open or whatever. But you're like, I just saw it. It appeared on my phone and now it's gone. But anyway, talking about slow connections, and I know that you say that the library kind of likes wants to reuse many things that are out there, which I think is fantastic. Uh, I also note, Mike, you had a little dig at... Um, the iOS community around that, um, yeah. The, regarding like, as opposed to the iOS community, we kind of try and want to reuse the stuff that's out there. Well, are you sure that's not the Microsoft community? But anyway, um, so yeah, what I was saying is, do you have any kind of like test frameworks or anything, or do you recommend any test frameworks for testing these things? So you, people use Store, 
but are there do people actively try and put their apps through slow network connections through failures to try and validate uh, that all of this thing that they're implementing is actually working properly is that something that's part of the library there's nothing in the library to simulate network conditions. I'm kind of old school. I've always used Charles as just a network proxy to do that. But we do have testing utilities. This is an async library that uses coroutines. It's sometimes difficult to know, you know, what are all the emissions that came through or just kind of um, if you do something like a double tap that gets uh, two things coming through a flow. So at some point, Yeet did write utilities for testing. There is a test artifact which allows you to assert exactly and it tells you exactly what came through a stream. It does all the nice things that I think your team or some team that you have recommended for how to test coroutines. So it waits, it doesn't finish the test. Um, I believe Turbine came out since we wrote this and it kind of became the ubiquitous way to test flows. So I've seen people also open issues with us. Hey, I tested this with Turbine. Um, you know, we had some kind of bug reported. So we kind of say, if you're using Turbine, use it. If not, we have our own testing utilities that give you a similar type of um, setup to um, not have races in your async tests. So Heidi, were you more thinking about like uh, manual testing or automated testing? No, automated testing. I was I was thinking more like automated testing, right? Because it's it's really great that I build all of this, but. Is there any kind of like anything in the framework that also helps me easily test it? Which I think is, was it the auxiliary functions that you were talking about in, in for the unit testing? Yeah, that, that seems like a feature request actually. Like imagine uh, with, with the chaining things that Matt like- added. Exactly, like when he's talking about three children or five children, like how do I actually test this, right? Uh, we can, I mean, you, I mean, I think you can, it's just like using the APIs we have, but then maybe we can consider like a higher level API that says like, you know, make this store act in a certain way. So you you declare it and then that store acts in that way. Uh, yeah, I don't know yeah. if you can like file a feature request with a one pager or a small design doc. <laughs> well, I just, this is open source. You don't do that. You just talk about it in a podcast and someone figures out how to do it and not get any gratitude for it. Like, I'm really actually shocked that, that Mike, you have people contributing to this. This is not in the nature of open source. It's usually one maintainer and everyone else telling them what to do. So kudos. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really good at attacking people at conferences and being like, I don't know how this works. <laughs> you look smart. Do you know how this works? <laughs> Man, I can't even get you to respond to whether he's going to come to a speaker dinner. It takes me like eight months and you get him contributing to a... <laughs> yeah. I got like, to know what you're doing. Uh, but, right. Uh, so, Seb, you've been silent too long. <laughs> I, I feel like that is not factual. <laughs> how's no. the weather? Yes, how's the weather? Actually, I want to come back to the Kotlin Foundation. Uh, we talked about it. We said thank you. So what's the next step and what's the biggest challenge that you see right now in, in going more full multi-platform? Oh, multi I, Overall, biggest challenge is going to be accepting payment. We got, we got to accept payment somehow and figure that out. So, you know, us, us nerds are more worried about that than any feature that, that exists in this. I'm hoping there's going to be a giant check that I can go, 
Yeah, like, you'll appear on YouTube. Store. It's like, look, look, mom, look what they sent me. That's oh, right. this is for store. $15. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Written out really on a massive check, like f with spacing between the letters. So it looks big, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. But fr from a feature perspective, I think just hardening the yeah, the, the multi-platform aspects of it is kind of top of mind. Uh, documentation, we keep releasing new versions, and I don't think since version two, we updated the docs. It's kind of been like, oh, yeah, there's a test. We have test coverage. Just go look at the test of how any of this works. Um, and I think we want to do a bug bounty or something where we do get external contributors. Um, this is technically now owned by the Linux Foundation store. Um, so it is open source. It's not like the money is going to go to any of us. So we're probably going to try to reinvest it in the project and say, people open features here. You want 500 bucks? Go fix it yourself. And thank you. I mean, I think the goal of the foundation is that you reinvest it in the, in the project, not you go out partying with it. But hey, you know. I mean, that's also <laughs> investing in the maintainers, needs. right? Yeah, team <laughs> event, team morale. Those are really important. <laughs> exactly. It's the strategic planning. Yeah, so the... the and uh, a KFC. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say Bahamas. <laughs> you, you, you can tell like that there's... People are thinking like the foundation is giving millions of dollars to folks. <laughs> I, I might get a brisket. Yeah. I might get a nice brisket and smoke it and we'll all eat it and celebrate. Oh, brisket. Right? Now we're talking. We should do a show on brisket, Mike. I'll show you my brisket. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay great yeah so with that out of the way um yeah in the in in the same vein of of this uh this whole idea of well the the the, the not so lonesome open source maintainer you know like carrying like atlas the world the whole community of android developers uh, on their shoulders. I guess that's the store five team potentially. How many people did you actually have any idea how many teams or, or like what maybe prestigious products um, are are using uh, store or store five um, to make their apps better and, and, and offline first? Any idea? Dropbox. <laughs> I, right. I honestly you go we are one. <laughs> <laughs> This is a hard one. And this is one of those, even if I knew, I don't know if I can really say it. We know companies use it, but you know, companies kind of use it privately. We do get folks that report bugs to us through DMs or through just like emails that don't really want it to be public that they may be using this. But yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's any just huge, just like name drop ones. I think maybe something in Google or another is using it at this point, if you'd want to say anything. But yeah, it's it's an unconfirmed report somewhere or another. People all over the world may be using this library. Yeah, it is like, this is, this is one of the challenges. I mean, like technically you know, Google has this data, but we don't have access to it. I mean, I don't have access to it. I work at Google. So it's like really hard to know besides the, the people providing feedback, like filing bugs. Uh, so, so we don't know the answer for that question. Maybe you well, can help us figure that out. Yeah. Uh, so what I uh, what I can tell you here's here's a promotional thing. My my next little side project. I'm I'm gonna see if I can fit Store Five into it, and I'm sure that's gonna convince everybody. <laughs> uh, it'll get like six stars on 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 GitHub, and that'll be very impressive. I think. I mean, you have about three thousand stars, so you you have a, a significant uh, community presence, which I think is quite. Uh, quite great and it seems like you is uh, a very very active community as well 
Yeah. Um, I will say that uh, I will shout out to Chris Baines, who uses it in the Tivi app. So Chris has an incredible sample for how everything in Android should work and should look. Um, he adopted store in that. And that was my, oh, my God, Chris Baines is using my library kind of moments. But um, I think it's even multi-platform at this point. So we can say something. While it is a sample, it's one of these kind of like de facto Android samples that everyone kind of fanboys and fangirls over. But um, yeah, um, that might be a good shout out. That If it's good enough for Chris, it's good enough for you, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what, Seb? We, 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 like, seriously, we should do the thumbnail of this show, which is like, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you with a picture of Chris. <laughs> like, that should be the promotion for this show. Um, I, 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 was, I was really settled on Google's best practices don't mean much because that was such a good <laughs> quote from you. <laughs> yeah. <I'm... laughs> oh, look. It, it, it is not even <laughs> 7 a.m. here, please. <laughs> yeah, you, you can tell that Matt is the only one that talked to a communications department before getting on the call. That's why I like having Yeet on the show. You know, he really kind of like says, okay. Anyway. But you're going to be fired? No, I need won't. this job. We this won't. Job. What we'll do is we'll say Google's best practices don't mean much, and uh, we won't put your face there. We'll just put long hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just long hair like a Jesus robe, and we will all know exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 So maybe I should explain. I should explain that. <laughs> No. <laughs> sure, go right ahead. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I, I said it because like this, this has been a huge topic in the Android community for many years. Like, you know, six, seven years ago, people complained that we didn't provide anything, and then we started providing some some practices, and then complained that because that's not what they thought it should be. I'm like, it's like, what do you want me to do? It's really hard. Uh, so we tried to be like very careful about saying, look, this is a way of doing things. It's not necessarily the only way of doing things, but still every day I see on Reddit that people complain about it and you just kind of get used to it. So when I had an opportunity to clarify this, I wanted to, to use your platform to deliver a message. And we completely understand you. Totally. We do. <laughs> now, whether or not those folks on Reddit will is a different matter because they don't <laughs> really read. They're just like, wait, what? Best practice, Google admits that they don't know anything. Um, that's what's yeah. going to come out. <laughs> Especially now on X, where you're not even allowed to put the the headline, you know, it's just like a, you you haven't heard like when you tweet now, they're removing the actual text. It's just gonna oh, be the what? thumbnail, so it's gonna be yeet. Google knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how I like how the actual content also just keeps changing. Yeah, it's just oh, like yeah. who's Google? <laughs> anyway, um, so, I'm so fired. Okay. <laughs> Jokes aside, um, what's in store for you next? Or or should I say what's in store next or what's next for store? Paging, maybe. We've tried to tackle paging a few times. That's one of those giant problems. Um, there is the Android X recommendation for paging, but um, they don't recommend Google? us using it. Yeah, it Google does not recommend much. us nope. using anything they made. So we're trying. Um, we tried integrating with the paging library, but the shape didn't quite fit into store pluggability. So we're going to try to do better bindings or something that, like, yeah, lets you page through your store. Sebastian, just put a side note. He's like, new title for the for the show. Yeet! I'm so fired. <laughs> 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 
was fun. That's a brilliant title. How much was the check? How much was the check from the mobile foundation? Yeah, just I'll tell you where I live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll split the check one way, <laughs> and then I'll convince Seb not to make that. Um, but yeah, anyway. But no, it's a uh, uh, joke. I keep saying jokes aside. I'm sorry. Uh, ser all seriousness aside. Uh, bonus question. Yeah, Seb, I do have. A, I do have a question? bonus. I do have. I do have one more bonus question because it. A lot of the stuff that that you've talked about uh, when it came to like managing your data in a reactive way and so on, like the word molecule just reappeared in my in my mind at some point again, which is the idea of of bringing like the the compose part like more into your like data layer and, and using it independently of of UI to structure your things. So I'm just curious: is there any integrations existing, planned? How how well does store uh, like work with with like the molecule ecosystem? Is there anything there? Store returns a flow when you make a network request. So you can same way compose molecule whatever do a collect a state, and your state then becomes the emissions from your store. Your UI will or your molecule presenter whatever you're using will recompose whenever that next request comes through your store flow. So we're cheating. We're using Flow. There's a great, there's a great library called Flow. I think it's in Kotlin. And yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, kind of, it was kind of like the network resilience stuff. If we have to slow something down too, you know, just Kotlin flow delay. So things like that make us kind of like shoulders of giants um, yet to not have to do it ourselves. That's, I think, genuinely my, my favorite answer is, well, I mean, all the things in the Kotlin ecosystem just tend to kind of click together in these ways. So we don't really have to do a lot of it, which is, I mean, yeah, it makes me very happy because it means that I can I can pump my my side projects full of all the fancy libraries uh, and they'll they'll still all all work together in a, in a harmonizing way, which is nice. But uh, we are out of time. Thank you for coming on the show. And I really, really would love to have another show where we, I'm not joking, have like best practices. We talk about best practices because uh, this is a topic that often comes up. Like, I mean, in every community, even when in my days in the Microsoft community, Microsoft would send a whole bunch of best practices and then people would argue. But how many of these are you actually applying yourselves in real life? And this isn't how we do it in the enterprise and stuff like that. So I think it's really a, interesting topic to discuss of where do you draw the balance between here's some recommendations and you know each situation is different uh but yeah thanks folks for coming on the show i had a lot of fun i don't know about sebastian uh, yeah no it was did it did it i, seem I don't like know about you i don't care about sebastian did you have fun <laughs> good okay great. yeah I'm, we're seeing a couple of thumbs up here for our audio listeners so that's good then. Yes. yeah and yes. because you mentioned twitter i'll mention mastodon um all your android listeners should join us on androiddev.social um i i run a mastodon server and yeah just so we don't have to keep looking at an x thank you excellent, that sounds thank excellent. You. yeah and, uh, matt i did notice that while during the recording for those again that want on the video every time i would say something kind of like funny awkward you would move further and further away from your desk i'm just like are you getting ready to just like run away at some point <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm glad that you're back back in the thing so yeah anyway thanks folks and uh until next time we'd love to have you on the show again
Yeah, wonderful. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in in this episode. Uh, if you want to hear uh, more from our guests, uh, Yeet joined us previously on the episode titled How Kotlin Became a Primary Language for Android Development. Um, there's, of course, the Kotlin Conf talk for migrating a library from RxJava to Coroutines, uh, which might have been a little bit of false advertising, as we've learned. Uh, and we also have the DroidCon talk about Store 5 uh, linked down in the description or wherever you find information about this podcast. With that, I think it's time to say goodbye and hopefully see you in, or hear you, you hear us in a future episode of Talking Kotlin. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.